Section 7 of On Being Negro in America by J. Saunders Redding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The assumptions that were held valid in my childhood were all wrong. So much has been said about them that I mention them reluctantly, but their strength is attested by the fact that many, many still trust them, and not merely Southern whites and the misinformed and the ignorant, nor whites alone, but blacks. Hodding Carter, novelist and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, no doubt deserves his reputation as a Southern liberal, but only a few months ago he wrote of a common insistence upon white political domination in the South, which is as unbreakable as anything woven by the mind of man, and declared himself unalterably committed to race segregation on the ground of preserving the whites' race ethnic integrity. Somewhat earlier, the Georgia Commissioner of Agriculture had said, the yellow people, the brown people, and the blacks, not even bothering to add people, are mentally unfit for directors in our form of government. In 1951, Kerr Scott, the governor of North Carolina, most liberal state in the South, echoed the Georgian. Asked by a Negro reporter why his inaugural promise had been fulfilled only to the extent of making one Negro appointment, the governor snapped, If I were you, I'd never have asked that question. I have given you people more than you can handle. That's why I tell you, you should never have asked that question. So the old assumptions hold. The assumption of the Negro's inherent inferiority, of tragic social and cultural consequences, if segregation is broken down on anything but the most superficial levels, the Negro's preferring segregation, and many more, they were taken on in the first place as rationalizations by means of which the white man tried, as Gunnar Myrdal says, to build a bridge of reason between his acclaimed egalitarian creed and his countervailing deed. Because of this guilt-ridden adoption, they were the more avidly loved. They were also the more furiously drummed into the general consciousness where, reverberating like thunder in a valley, they have rolled out the tune to which white people and Negroes have danced since 1900. The Negroes, because they must. It is a static but a curiously hectic dance. We gyrate through its complicated patterns with responses as conditioned and involuntary as reflexes. In spite of all the fervent clapping and shouting, our reactions to the race problem are not really emotional and intellectual, but muscular. I cannot now, as long ago I could, believe in the moral and intellectual conviction of the demagogues of men like Richard Russell and James Burns and Strom Thurmond, for I cannot believe that the findings of modern science are so cabined and confined, even in South Carolina, Georgia, and Mississippi, as to escape the knowledge of these educated men. The older demagogues had this to excuse them. They were ignorant. The younger ones are knowing puppeteers, cynically manipulating the strings of the past. And even the masses who respond to the strings know better than they used to. Even with them, conviction flags and cynicism takes over. The moral conviction that it was for the social welfare that they reserved all power to themselves no longer operates. Power for power's sake is now the rule. And when a leading Georgia politician said so in a political address, the rafters rang. We have the power, and we mean to keep it where it belongs. If the Negroes vote wholesale, and if the county unit system goes, we'll have that much less power, but it must not go. 
the county unit system which used to protect our rural population from slick city politics now arms us all with power against the enemies of white supremacy the old assumptions hold but worse others have been added to evade the knowledge that cannot now be ignored and to make possible the conformity to the vicious dialectic of power which rings as plangently in america now as in the rest of the world and the chief of them is this that hostility is the accepted state in which to live dualism is looked on as the natural division of absolute opposites of enemies communism and democracy eastern man and western man native and foreign and most pertinent to this argument black and white not black as formerly the pathetically weak and erring child of nature nor white as formerly the tolerant chastiser and protector the strong adult but black raised by the findings of science and the decisions of the highest court in the land to close equality with white and therefore the enemy to white exaggerated but toward truth not away from it that competition which was once confined to the lowest economic levels and which resulted in the legendary hatred of the poor white masses for the negro and vice versa operates on higher levels now it is on the level of skilled labor as the brotherhood of locomotive engineers and firemen knew when they brought suit to enjoin railroads from promoting negro firemen also members of the brotherhood to engineers it is on the level of education and persons reporting to be students of the medical college of the university of south carolina admitted sending threatening letters to a negro applicant and burning a cross on his front lawn it is on the level of the professions so that a committee of the national bar association a negro group felt constrained to report that as the quality of training rises negro lawyers find it harder to win admission to the bar in some southern states actually of course it is no longer possible to predicate discrimination and segregation on negro inferiority so long as it was possible and seemed forever possible the practical-minded found a kind of social justification in disenfranchisement in raising economic and cultural barriers in the despotic paternalism which said thou shalt not even the negro leader booker washington found it blameless and indeed good without ever suspecting that the tradition of noblesse oblige on which all this was claimed to be founded might some day be as ineffective as necromancy segregation was order it was control it was the steel and concrete casing sealing up a devastating social explosion it still seems so to the vast majority and their leaders the strongest voices in the south today say that segregation must be kept governor james burns in his inaugural was not so intent on expressing his views on foreign policy that he did not assure his listeners of his unaltered opposition to the fair deal hotting carter the liberal mentioned above is not so liberal that he does not see it as tragic for the south the negro and the nation itself if segregation is done away with and only a fool lillian smith quotes from the atlanta constitution would say the southern pattern of separation of the races can or should be overthrown but if segregation must be kept it must now be predicated on something else than negro inferiority and what else is there 
the cynical ideology of power worship what h a overstreet calls the fight and grab image the philosophy of hate it is what hitler came to it is the result of a pattern of thinking desperately threatened by science and social change end of section seven